Please take your Bibles this evening and turn to Mark chapter 5, Mark 5, as we look to God's Word. Last time we considered the end of chapter 4, and we're moving forward, um, inching forward, maybe we could say, as we proceed through this great gospel and learn about our Lord Jesus Christ through it. Um, Last time we looked at the stilling of the storm, and that's a... Um, an account that's packed with action and emotion, and it draws us in to its vivid description of the water and the wind and the waves and, and the threat upon the disciples in the boat. And this evening, as we look at Mark 20, or I'm sorry, Mark 5, uh, 1 through 20, we see another action-packed account um, about Christ's authority as he casts out not just one demon, but a, but a host of demons out of this man named Legion, because he was literally full of demons. As we've noticed before, and as I want to highlight this evening in this message, we see three great themes in the book of Mark. And those are Jesus' identity, who he is, his mission, why he came, and his call, what it means to follow him. His identity, his mission, his call. And we'll see that this evening in our text. We want to know who Christ is. We want to know why He came, who He is, and why He came, and what He calls each of us to. So let us pause at, um, at this time and, and pray and ask God's blessing upon His Word, and then we'll read this text. Lord, we bow before You again humbly with grateful hearts that You have given us Your Word, that it is um, powerful, Lord, that it is authoritative in our life, that it is inerrant, that we can trust it, and that we know that it is your word. I pray that you would shape us by the proclamation of your word this evening. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Mark 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with them. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us this evening in his holy and inerrant word. This miracle is the second in a series of four miracles in which Jesus establishes his authority. And that's a theme that we've kind of been following in these opening chapters of the book of Mark. And we've seen it develop and we've seen it confirmed again. And we see that again this evening in the text. Of course, as we mentioned the previous passage, Jesus had been crossing the Sea of Galilee when a storm arose. The disciples cried out to him and... The storm, he stilled the, the storm. He stilled the waves. And Mark 4 ends with the amazement of the disciples where they said, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus had shown his power and authority over the wind and the waves. And here we see the power and authority over the forces of darkness. Again, over the demonic forces. And the account here provides such a vivid description of this man. In fact, it's the most dramatic account of any in Scripture of the casting out of a demon. Mark tells us that this occurred immediately after he stepped out of the boat, having just crossed the sea. We don't know the exact, Mark does not concern himself with the exact chronology of it, but quite possibly they, they sailed, they finished their journey across the sea. Maybe they slept in the boat after the storm had died down and they were coming ashore in the morning. And here this man approaches Christ right as he's stepping out of the boat. He makes it sound like he's, he's right there waiting for Jesus almost. He saw him from afar. He ran to meet him and fell before him. This country in which Jesus was at this time was Gentile country. It was a land in which they raised swine, which of course were unclean to the Jews. Our text in verse 3 says that this man lived among the tombs. Again, a place that was very unclean. In the words of another of a commentator, it says, Here is a man with an unclean spirit living among unclean tombs, surrounded by people employed in unclean occupations, all in unclean Gentile territory. It's a story of uncleanness, especially in the eyes of the Jews. But what did Jesus do in the face of that? He stepped right into this man's world. He stepped right in to this man's uncleanness. Again, Christ fulfilled the law, and he was able to do this. The man in our text was tormented and possessed not just with one demon, but with a multitude. When Jesus spoke to him, his answer was, My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, commentators like to talk about numbers, you know, and they say, well, a legion of soldiers is 6,000, or there were 2,000 swine that were inhabited by the, the, the demons that came out of this man. We don't know how many, but we know there was many that, demons that tormented this man. It was so much so that he was, he was really living like an animal. Mark goes into detail to tell us this. Really even worse than an animal. He had been driven from his home. He was living in a graveyard. And that could have been because others drove him there. It could have been by his own choice or just the place he ended up. 
a place where he could seek shelter, where nobody would bother him among the bones of the dead, perhaps even within a tomb. He had been often bound by shackles and chains, presumably by local authorities for his own protection and the protection of others. But they weren't able to contain him. The text in verse 3 tells us that it seems to imply that the situation may have even grown worse as it went along. That he could not be bound with a chain anymore. He was taken over with a strength not his own. He was wild and uncontrollable. Verse 5 tells us that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. What a, what a terrifying sight this is to imagine in our mind. The sounds, the shrieks that could be heard among the tombs and on the mountains no doubt brought fear among the people of that region. But let's pause for a moment here. Why is it that you think that Mark might have given us such a detailed description of this man? I think it's to help us realize that that this man was beyond help. Many would say he was beyond hope. He was beyond the reach of any traditional means of helping him. He was isolated. He was out of control. He was ostracized by his family. He was trapped. He was unable to control his circumstances. These are feelings that we sometimes feel, even in the situations that we are in, even though we are very different from where this man is. While we are not suffering from demon possession like this man, these are still very real experiences for us. Often we feel trapped, out of control. But what did this wild, uncontrollable man do when he encountered Jesus? He fell before him. He recognized his power and authority. We see Christ's authority in several ways. We see it first in the cry of the unclean spirit. Look with me at verse 7 where he cried out and he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This spirit, or should I say these spirits that had enjoyed complete control over this man, knew they had no control before Christ. We see Christ's authority in the command that he issued to the spirit. He said, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And it was done. This authority is seen as well in the change that takes place in this man. So here is a powerful picture of who Christ is. Christ is Lord. He is Lord over the wind and the sea, and He is Lord over the forces of Satan. Not even the multitudes of demons that have possessed this man of the Gerasenes, who have caused him to live as a shadowy figure of the night, a shadowy figure of the tombs are any match to the Lord of Lords. At his word, the demons flee. They go where they had asked to go, but only after Christ had given them leave to go. So we see Christ's identity in this. We also see his mission. Throughout the gospel, Mark reveals more and more of why Jesus came. His mission is fully revealed in Mark 8 where he tells his disciples that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days he would rise again. But we also see his mission revealed in part at the, the miracle of transformation in the life of this man. 
Luke tells us that Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And few people in Scripture have such a vivid tale of lostness as this man. But what a difference it makes when Christ comes. When Christ comes, the man who was completely overcome with powers not his own, who was living among the dead and could not be chained, he was sitting there in his right mind. He was begging to follow Christ. Christ came to suffer and to die and to provide a way of salvation for men and women like this and for men and women like you and me. Thirdly, we see his identity and his mission. Thirdly, we see Christ call upon this man, this man whose life was radically transformed. He, he begs to follow Jesus. He wants to be with him. He wants to be right there with him. And you think, what a powerful testimony. If this man were to come with Jesus, he could, he could talk up Christ's ministry, couldn't he? He could be a witness for that. What a testimony that would be. But he didn't tell him that he could go. He told him no. He said instead, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. His answer was not what this man asked for. And he had asked for a good thing. He wanted to be with Jesus. But often the call of God involves a no. Many times God does not give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. Tim Keller has said that God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. Let me say that again. God would, will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that God knows. I have to have a little soakage time on that and have to think about it because it's true. God knows what we need. And we have to trust God's knowledge to know what we need, his omniscience. We have to trust his omnipotence, his power, and we have to trust his love to give us what we need because he's able, because he's all-powerful. We don't know everything God knows. Sometimes we have big dreams and we watch those dreams die or we see a door close or there only seems to be that frowning providence that perplexing set of circumstances that seems to be anything but good. Sometimes we're in the middle of challenging situations and, and it seems anything but good. We, we wonder why God, where God is and, and we pray and we, we might pray, God, my prayer seems good. I think this is a good thing. We even can honestly say at times, Lord, I think this would glorify you. And God still says no. Sometimes we might even check our desires and, and seek to, to really be honest before God and say, Lord, why? I don't understand this. Someone has said, and I think this is, this is good for us to remember, that God's providence is better viewed in the rearview mirror. It's often as we get past situations and we can look back upon them that we can see his hand at work. Now, that's not always true. You know that. That sometimes we, we feel like, and, and I think in cases we will, carry things to our grave that we don't understand. And that's okay. And we have to trust God's merciful, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient hand in those things. But it's often when we look back on them and we see God's mercy in them. 
we see that he's working things for his glory and our good. But remember that sign that you see in the rearview mirror of your car where it says objects in the mirror are closer than they appear? Remember that as well. Because remember, God is with you in those circumstances. He's there even when you can't see him. He's with us. We think of this this man's pleading um, to go with Christ and to be with him. We thought it was a good thing. He thought it was a good thing. But God has other plans. God, in this story, he is showing us a little bit of his plan to take the gospel to the Gentile regions. Because that's what exactly happened. It says at the end of what we read, he proclaimed it in that area and everyone marveled. They heard about who Jesus was and what he had done for this man. What a dramatic conversion he had and what a wonderful testimony he took to those around him. But what about us? What is there for us to learn about this text, about Christ's identity, his mission, and his call? I'm sure most of us in here could give a good description of Christ's identity, that he is the eternal son of God, the sinless son of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, that he was and continues to be God and man and two distinct natures and one person forever. Those good catechism questions that I hope we have have soaked our minds in. And we even talked about that in the message this morning. So we know who Jesus is, hopefully. We know what his mission is. He came to seek and to save the lost, to live a sinless life. He came to die upon a cross and to bear the sins of his people. In short, Christ came to deal with our sin. We need deliverance from our sin. That was certainly true for the man in this passage this evening... But what about us? If you are in Christ, if you have repented of your sins and are resting in his accomplished work upon the cross, you you need not fear being inhabited with demons as this man was. Yet, if we're honest, we have to recognize the presence of of sin in our lives. Yes, Christ dealt with the penalty of our sins upon upon the cross. And we should also remember that we are free from sin's power because of his work upon the cross. Sin is defeated in the here and now as we abide in Christ and because we are partakers in his death and resurrection. The power of sin should be removed from the life of believers. But we still sense the presence of sin in our lives. We need to realize that the mission of Christ involves our sin today. Our sin, including its effects upon us and our children, the scars of our sin, and the vulnerabilities that come along with that. His work upon the cross on our behalf satisfied the penalty of sin. As we abide in him, we should see the power of sin in our lives weakened. And when we reach heaven, we can fully enjoy our Savior without the presence of sin at all. But in the meantime... Here upon this earth, we need deliverance, not from being possessed with demons, but from finding our identity in something other than Christ. Perhaps we're seeking our identity in our achievement. Paul Tripp has written on this and and tells us, success is a biblical concept, and God wants us to do great things for his kingdom. But the minute we take on our achievements as an identity, dangerous things happen, end of quote. One thing that can happen is we 
take our focus off of the accomplished work of Christ and focus instead upon the unaccomplished tasks of our own lives. That resonates with me, I have to confess. We're driven to accomplishments, not for the glory of Christ, but either for our own glory or simply to avoid guilt and regret. Beware of seeking your identity in achievements. Another place that too many believers seek their identity is in creation itself, in the stuff of life, in the things that God has made. And that could be anything in God's created realm. Money, food, sex, fitness, and perhaps most of all, possessions. The things that, that, we, that we own, the things or that we want to own. If your identity is found in any of these things, instead of finding your identity in Christ, beware. They might be ruling your life. And it's amazing how the simplest things can rule over us. And I speak out of my own experience as I share this story. And my family has heard this before. But a number of years ago, after my grandparents had passed away, my grandpa died in 2003 and my grandma in in 05. And I think it was in about 06 they had their estate sale. And I'm pretty sentimental and, and wanted to come home with some of my grandparents' things. And um, one of the things I was kind of interested in, that, in at that time was, um, was, was working with steel. And, and my grandpa had an anvil. And so I thought, I would love to have that anvil. And, you know, it was set up on a nice uh, chunk of wood. I, I didn't really know that much about blacksmithing, but I just thought it would be nice. So um, I thought maybe I could afford to bring that home. And so it was an auction, and um, I had some money, and the bidding started. And I didn't start out bidding right away, but, but it had already gotten up to three or $400 when I started bidding. And it just went up very quickly from there. And I won the bid because I stayed in there and had my heart set on getting that anvil. And the bidding ended, and I, it was over $700. And I kind of sheepishly looked over at my wife, who was beside me, and all she said was, I think I'm going to be sick. (laughs) And I said, I think I'm going to be too. And I had to do something you're never supposed to do at an auction, and that is tell the auctioneer, can you please resell this thing? Because I have gotten in too deep. And so I think probably because I looked naive and because I was family, he did, and I didn't come home with that anvil that day. But it's... That's just an illustration of the way we can set our hearts on things of this earth. It was God's mercy that kept me from buying that that day. I think that huge chunk of iron would have been a weight around my neck that really caused me to seek my identity in something else and not in Christ. And for most of us here this evening, it's not an anvil that captures our hearts, that takes our eyes off of Christ, but it could be a car It could be a house, it could be a second house, it could be that next promotion, it could even be your children or your grandchildren that become an anvil to you. Jesus came to free us from our sins and to have us set our hearts and our affections upon him and find our identity in him. His mission really is to deal with anything we place before him anything in which we find our identity instead of in Christ, whether that's relationships, achievements, the endorsements of others, or the things of this earth, Jesus came to smash our idols. 
Christ's mission is to deal with us and to deal with our sin. Then what is it that he calls us to? Well, he calls us to a life of obedience and devotion to him. In Mark 8, he called his disciples to deny themselves, to take up their crosses and to follow him. And he calls us to no less. He calls us to deny ourselves and follow him. But remember, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Christ sometimes tells us no that, so that we can receive something better, not necessarily better in man's eyes, but better in light of heaven. And then he commissions us to go and tell others what he has done and is doing in our lives. And then we can see people marvel, not at us, not at the change that we have brought in our own lives, but at the change he has wrought in us by his power and grace alone. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come to deal with our sin. Lord, and I pray that as we wrestle with the presence of sin in our lives, that we would set our eyes upon Christ, that we would find our identity in nothing else other than Christ and his work in us. Give us boldness, Lord, to share that message with those around us. Give us humility in recognizing that it is all of grace and all of you. And we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.